Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Good day, my lovely, lovely listeners. Right now, it's bucketing down over here in WA. Positively boring. So, I'm going to keep my intro and outro quick here, because where I live, it's notoriously known that the power will go out in super rainy or windy environments. And I'm going to ear on the side of caution here, mates, and do a very quick intro and thank yous up front so as to ensure I have enough time to upload before the crazy weather sets in. And then I'm possibly without power or internet for a couple of hours, which definitely styles my opportunity to upload within tonight's time frame. <laughs> so, a huge thank you to all my Patreon supporters. My old night tea titan, Maya, who grabs this podcast by the pants and throws it to the moon. My two fantastic white tea warlords, Leza Bowzuka and Paige Kramer, whose wonderful dedication and support means this podcast can positively shine. And of course, my Earl Grey enforcers that enforce the essence of Earl Grey awesomeness. I have Chad Warren, Just Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, Tea Time Drinker 1, and Divided by Zero. All of you are simply amazing, and I'm truly lucky to have your support. Today's episode is a continuation of The Flower of Old Japan, namely because many, many of my listeners really enjoyed it, so I pushed back the creepy tales and thought I'd share more of the poetry. And the more I read of these, the more I enjoy them. So sit back with me, pull up a chair, and let's share a story-poem combo like no other. Enjoy, you lovelies. Have a wonderful day or night. And as always, till next we meet. The Hideous Hermit Ah, oh, what wonders round us rose, When we dared to pause and look, Curious things that seemed all toes, Goblins from a picture book, Ants like witches four feet high, Waving all their skinny arms, Glared at us and wandered by, Muttering their ancestral charms, Stately forms in green and gold, Armour strutted through the glades, Just as Hamlet's ghost were told, Mooned among the midnight shades. Once a sort of devil came, Scattering broken trees about, Winged with leather, eyed with flame. He was but a moth, no doubt. Here and there, above us clomb, Feathery clumps of palm on high. Those were ferns, of course, But some really seemed to touch the sky. Yes, and down one fragrant glade, Listening as we onward stole, Half delighted, half afraid. Dong, we heard the harebells toll. Something told us what that gleam. Down the glen was brooding o'er. Something told us in a dream what the bells were tolling for. Something told us there was fear, horror, peril on our way. Was it far or was it near? Near, we heard the night wind say. Toll, the music reeled and pealed through the vast and sombre trees, where a rosy light revealed dimmer, sweeter mysteries. And, like petals of the rose, fairy fans in beauty beat, light in light. What were those rhymes we heard the night repeat? Toll and dream within a dream upon an isle of rose and blue. Up the music's perfumed stream came the words, and then we knew. Knew that in the distant glen, once again the case was tried. Hark! 
Who killed Cock Robin then? A tiny voice replied. I killed Cock Robin. I, and who are you, Sir Bray? Growled a voice that froze our marrow. Who? We heard the murderer say. Lord, sir, I am the famous sparrow, and this is my bow and arrow. I killed Cock Robin. Then, with one great indrawn breath, such a scion and a sobbin' rose all around us for the death of poor, poor Cock Robin. Oh, we couldn't bear to wait, even to hear the murderer's fate, which we'd often wish to know sitting in the fireside glow, and with hot revengeful looks searched for in the nursery books, for the robin and the wren, and such friends to mortal men, such dear friends to mortal men. Toll, and though the woods once more stole we drenched with fragrant dew, toll the harebell's burden bore, deeper meaning than we knew. Still it told us there was fear, horror, peril on the way. Was it far, or was it near? Near, we heard the night wind say. Near, and once or twice we saw something like a monstrous eye, something like a hideous claw, steal between us and the sky. Still we hummed a dauntless tune, trying to think such things might be, glimpses of the fairy moon hiding in some hairy tree. Yet round us as we went, through the glades of rose and blue, sweetness with the horror blent, wonder wild in scent and hue, here Aladdin's cavern yawned, jewelled thick with gorgeous dyes. There a head of clover dawned, like a cloud in eastern skies. Hills of topaz, lakes of dew, fairy cliffs of crystal sheen. Passed we, and the forest blue, sea of branches tossed between. Once we saw a griffin make one soft iris as it passed, like the curving meteors wake over the forest far and fast. Winged with purple, breathing flame, crimson-eyed, we saw him go. Where, ah, could it be the same, cockchafer we used to know? Valley lilies overhead, high aloof in clustered spray, far through heaven their splendor spread, glimmering like the Milky Way. Mammoth's fathers call extinct, creatures that the cavemen feared. Through that forest walked and blinked, through that jungle crawled and leered. Beasts no Nimrod ever knew, woolly bears of black and red, crocodiles who wanted who ever dared to see them fed. Were they lizards? If they were, they could swallow us with ease. But they slumbered quietly there, in among the mighty trees. Red and silver, blue and green, played the moonlight of their scales. Golden eyes they had and lean, crooked legs with cruel nails. Yet again, no faint and far, came the shadow of a cry, like the calling of a star to its brothers in the sky. Like an echo in a cave, where young mermen sound their shells, like the wind across a grave, bright with scent of lily bells. Like a fairy hunter's horn, sounding in some purple glen, sweet reveille to the morn, and the fairy quest again. Then all around it surged a song we could never understand, though it lingered with us long, and it seemed so sad and grand. And this is how that song went. Little boy blue, come blow up your horn, summon the day of deliverance in. We are wary of bearing the burden of scorn, as we yearn for the home that we shall never win. 
For here there is weeping and sorrow and sin, and the poor and the weak are spoiled for the strong. Ah, when shall the song of ransom begin, when the world has grown weary with waiting so long? Little blue boy, you are gallant and brave. There was never a doubt in those clear, bright eyes. Come challenge the grim, dark gates of the grave, as the skylark sings to those infinite skies. This world is a dream, say the old and the wise, and its rainbows arise over the false and the true. But the mists of the morning are made of our sighs. Ah, oh, shattered them, scattered them, little boy blue. Little boy blue, if the child heart knows, sound but a note as a little one may, and the thorns of the desert shall bloom with the rose, and the healer shall wipe all tears away. Little boy blue, we are all astray. The sheep's in the meadow, the cow's in the corn. Ah, set the world right, as a little one may. Little boy blue, come blow up your horn. Yes, and there between the trees, circled with the misty gleam, like the light a mourner sees, round an angel in a dream. Was it he? Oh, brave and slim, straight and clad in airy blue, lifting to his lips the dim. Golden horn? We never knew. Never, for a witch's hair, flooded all the moonlight sky, and he vanished then and there, in the twinkling of an eye. Just as either boyish cheek puffed to set the world aright, ere the golden horn could speak, round him flowed the purple night. At last we came to a round black road that tunnelled through the woods and showed. Oh, so we thought a good clear way back to the upper lands of day. Great silken cables overhead in many a mighty mesh were spread, netting the rounded arch, no doubt, to keep the weight of leafage out. And as the tunnel narrowed down, so thick and close the cords had grown, no leaf could through their meshes stray, and the faint moonlight died away. Only a strange grey glimmer shone to guide our weary footsteps on, until, tired out, we stood before. The end, a great grey silken door. Then from out a weird old wicket, overgrown with shaggy hair, like a weird and wicked eyebrow, round a weird and wicked eye. Two great eyeballs and a beard from one ghastly moment peered, at our faces with a sudden stealthy stare. Then the door was opened wide, and a hideous hermit cried, with a shy and soothing smile from out his lair, Won't you walk into my parlour? I can make you cosy there. And we couldn't quite remember where we'd heard that phrase before, as the great grey-bearded ogre stood beside his open door, but an echo seemed to answer from a lamb beyond the sky. Won't you walk into my parlour? said the spider. To the fly. Then we looked a little closer at the ogre as he stood, with his great red eyeballs glowing like two torches in a wood, and his mighty speckled belly, and his dreadful clutching claws, and his nose, a horny parrot's beak, his whiskers, and his jaws. Yet he seemed so sympathetic, and we saw two tears descend as he murmured, I'm so ugly, but I've lost my dearest friend. I tell you most emphatically, I'm yearning in my soul. And right along his parrot's beak, we saw the teardrops roll. He's an arrant sentimentalist. We heard a distant sigh. Won't you weep upon my bosom, said the spider to the fly. If you'd dreamed my dreams of beauty, if you'd seen my works of art, if you'd felt the cruel hunger that is gnawing at my heart, and the grief that never leaves me, and the love I can't forget, 
for I loved with all the letters in the Chinese alphabet. Oh, you'd all come in to comfort me. You ought to help the weak. And I'm full of melting moments, and I know the thing you seek. And the haunting echo answered, Well, I'm sure you ought to try. There's a duty to one's neighbor, said the spider to the fly. So we walked into his parlor, though a gleam was in his eye, and it was the prettiest parlor that ever we did spy. But we saw by the uncertain, misty light, shot through with gleams of many a silken curtain, broidered o'er with dreadful dreams, that he locked the door behind us, so we stood with bated breath in a silence deep as death. There were scarlet gleams and crimson in the curious foggy grey, like the blood-red light that swims on old canals at fall of day, with the smoke of some great city, loops and droops in gorgeous veils, round the heavy purple barges, tawny sails. Where those creatures gagged and muffled, see there, by that severed head, was it but a breeze that ruffled, those dark curtains splashed with red? Ruffled the dark figures on them, made them moan like things in pain? How we wished that we were safe at home again. Oh, we want to hear a Peterkin, good sir. You say you know. Won't you tell us? Won't you put us in the way we want to go? So we pleaded, for he seemed so very full of sighs and tears, that we couldn't doubt his kindness, and we smothered all our fears. But he said, You must be crazy if you come to me for help. Why should I desire to send you to your horrid little whelp? And again the foolish echo made a faraway reply, Oh, don't come to me for comfort. Pray don't look to me for comfort. Heavens, you mustn't be so selfish, said the spider to the fly. Still, when the king of Scotland, so to speak, was in a hole, he was aided by my brother, it's a story to console, the convict of the treadmill and the infant with the sum, for it teaches you to try again until your kingdoms come. The monarch dawdled in that hole for centuries of time, until my own twin brother rose and showed him how to climb. He showed him how to swing and sway upon a tiny thread across a mighty precipice and light upon his head, without a single fracture and without a single pain, if he only did it frequently and tried and tried again. And once again the whisper, like a moral wanted by, Perseverance is a virtue, said the spider to the fly. Then he moaned, my heart is hungry, but I fear I cannot eat. Of course I speak entirely now of spiritual meat. For I only fed an hour ago. But if we calmly sat, while I told you all my troubles in a confidential chat, it would give me such an appetite to hear you sympathize, and I should sleep the better. See, the tears are in my eyes. Dead yearnings are such dreadful things. Let's keep them all alive. Let's sit and talk a while, my dears. We'll dine, I think, at five. And he brought his chair beside us in his most engaging style, and began to tell his story with a melancholy smile. You remember Miss Muffet, who sat on a tuffet, partaking of curds and whey? Well, I am the spider who sat down beside her and frightened Miss Muffet away. There was nothing against her, an elderly spinster, where such a grammatical mate for a spider and a spinner. I swore I would win her. I knew I had met with my fate. 
That love was the purest, and strongest and surest, I had felt since my first thread was spun. I knew I am a boogie, but she is an old fogey, so why in the world did she run? When Bruce was in trouble, a spider, my double, encouraged him greatly, they say. Now why should the spider who sat down beside her have frightened Miss Muffet away? He seemed to have much more to tell, but we could scarcely be listening well, although we tried with all our might to look attentive and polite, for still afar we heard the thin, clear fairy call to Peterkin. Clear as a skylark's mounting song, it drew our wandering thoughts along. Afar, it seemed, yet uh, so nigh, deep in our dreams it scaled the sky. In captive dreams that brooked no bars, it touched the love that moves the stars. And with sweet music's golden tether, it bound our hearts in heaven together. And within it a song was born. Wake, arise, the lake, the skies, fade into the fairy day. Come and sing before our king, heed not time the dotard grey. Time has given his crown to heaven. <laughs> How long? Awake, away. Then as the hermit rambled on, in one long listless monotone, we heard a wild and mournful groan come rumbling down the tunneled way. A voice, an awful morning bray, singing some old funeral lay. Then solemn footsteps, muffled, dull, approached as if they trod on wool, and as they nearer and nearer drew, we saw our host was listening too. His bulging eyes began to glow, like great red matchheads rubbed at night, and then he stole with a grim, oh -ho! to that grey old wicket where, out of sight, blandly rubbing his hands and humming, he could see at one glance, Whatever was coming. He had never been so jubilant or frolicsome before, as he scurried on his cruel hairy crutches to the door, and flung it open and most hospitably cried, Won't you walk into my parlour? I've some little friends to tea. They'll be highly entertained to a man of sympathy, such as yourself must be. Then the man, for so he seemed, doubtless who'd lost his way, and was dwarfed as we had been, in his ancient suit of black, black upon the verge of green, entered like a ghost that dreamed, sadly of some bygone day, and he never ceased to sing in that awful mournful bray. The door closed behind his back, he walked round us in a ring, and we hoped that he might free us, but his tears appeared to blind him, for he didn't seem to see us, and the hermit crept behind him like a cat about to spring. And the song he sang was this, and his nose looked very grand, as he sang it with a bliss which he could not understand, for his voice was very sad, while his nose was proud and glad. Rain, April, rain, by sunny, sunny tears, through the black boughs the robe of spring appears, yet for the ghosts of all the bygone years, rain, April, rain, rain, April, rain, the rose will soon be glad. Spring with rejoice, a spring I too have had. A little while till I no more be sad. Rain, April rain. And then the spider sprang, before we could breathe or speak. And one great scream outrang, as the terrible horny beak crunched into the sad man's head. And the terrible hairy claws clutched him around his middle. And he opened his lantern jaws, and he gave one twist, one twiddle, 
One kick and his sorrow was dead. And there, as he sucked his bleeding prey, the spider leered at us. You will do, my sweet little dears, for another day. But this is the sort I like. <laughs> and there we stood in frozen fear, whiter than death, with bated breath. And lo, as we thought of Peterkin, father and home and Peterkin. Once more that music, clear and thin, clear as a skylark's mounting song, but nearer now, more sweet, more strong, drew all our wondering thought along until it seemed a mystic sea of hidden delight and harmony began to ripple and rise all around, the prison where our hearts lay bound, and from sweet heaven's most rosy rim there swelled a distant marching hymn, which made the hideous hermit pause and listen with lank-down-dropped jaws, till, with great bulging eyes of fear, he sought the wicket again to peer, along the tunnel, as like sweet rain. We heard the still approaching strain, and under it the rhythmic beat of multitudinous marching feet. Nearer, nearer, they rippled and rang, and this was the marching song they sang. A fairy band are we in fairy land, Singing, marching we, hand in hand, singing, singing all day long. Some folk never heard a fairy song. Singing, singing, when the merry thrush is swinging on a springing spray, or when the witches that lives in gloomy caves and creeps by night among the graves calls a cloud across the day. Cease we never our fairy song. March we ever along, along, down the dale or up the hill. Singing, singing still. And suddenly, the hermit turned and ran with all his might through the back door of his parlour as we thought of little Peterkin, and the great grey roof was shattered by a shower of rosy light, and the spider's house went floating, torn and tattered through the night, in a flight of prismy streamers as we shout went up for Peterkin, and lo, the glistening fairy host stood there arrayed for fight, in arms of rose and green and gold, to lead us on. To Peterkin, and all around us, rippling like a pearl and opal sea, the host of fairy faces winked in kindly hint of Peterkin, and all around the rosy glade, a laugh of fairy glee, watched spiders streamers floating up from fragrant tree to tree, till the moonlight caught the gossamers, and oh, we wished for Peterkin, each rope became a rainbow, but it made us ache to see such a fairy forest pomp without explaining it to Peterkin. Then all the glittering crowd, with a courtly gesture bowed, like a rosy jeweled cloud round a flame. As the king of fairy land, very dignified and grand, stepped forward to demand whence we came. Hid a cloak of gold and green, such a caterpillar's spin, for the fairy ways I ween are very frugal. He'd a bow that he had borne since the crimson Eden morn, and a honeysuckle horn for his bugle. So we told our tale of fairy to the king of fairyland, and asked if he could let us know the latest news of Peterkin, and he turned him with a curtly smile, and waved his jeweled wand, and cried, Peace blossom, muster seed, you know the old command. Well, these are little children, you must lead them on to Peterkin. Then he knelt, the king of fairy knelt, his eyes were great and grand, as he took our hands and kissed them, saying, Father loves your Peterkin. So out they sprang on either side, a light, fantastic fairy guide, 
to lead us to the land unknown, where little Peterkin was gone. And as we went with timid pace, we saw that every fairy face in all the moonlight host was wet with tears we never shall forget. The mystic hush that seemed to fade away like sound and down the glade, we passed beyond their zone of light. Then through the forest's purple night, we trotted at a pleasant speed, with gay peace blossom and mustard seed. Shyly we surveyed our guides, as though the gloomy woods we went, in the light that the straggling moonbeams lent. We envied them their easy strides, peace blossoms in his crimson cap, and delicate suit of rose-leaf green. His crimson sash and his jeweled dagger strutted along with an elegant swagger, which showed that he didn't care one rap for anything less than a fairy queen. His eyes were deep like the eyes of a poet, although his crisp and curly hair certainly didn't seem to show it. While Mustard Seed, with a devil-may-care, epigrammatic and pungent fellow, clad in a splendid suit of yellow, with emerald stars on his glittering breast, and eyes that shone with a diamond light that made you feel sure it would always be best. To tell him the truth, he was not perhaps quite super light as Peach Blossom, but then who could be quite such a debonair fairy as he? We never could tell you one half that we heard and saw on that journey, for instance, a bird, ten times as big as an elephant stood by the side of a nest like a great thick wood. The cloud in glimmering wreaths were spread behind its vast and shadowy head, which rolled at us trembling below. Its eyes were like great black moons in those pearl pale skies and we feared he might take us, perhaps, for a worm. But he ruffled his breast with the sound of a storm, and snuggled his head with a careless disdain under his huge haunched wings again. And Mustard Seed said, as we stole through the dark, there was nothing to fear, it was only a lark. And so he cheered the way along with many a neat little epigram, while dear Peace Blossom before him swam on a billow of lovely moonlight song telling us why they had left their home in Sherwood and had hither come to dwell in this magical-scented clime, this dim old forest of sweet wild thyme. Men toil, he said, from morn till night, with bleeding hands and blinded sight. For gold, more gold, they have betrayed the trust that in their soul was laid, their fairy birthright they have sold for little discs of mortal gold. And now they cannot even see the gold upon the greenwood tree, the wealth of coloured lights that pass in soft gradations through the grass, the riches of the love untold that wakes the day from grey to gold, and how so are the moonlight weaves, magic webs among the leaves. Englishmen care little now for elves beneath the hawthorn bough. Nor if robins should return, dare they of an outlaw learn. For them the smallest flower is furled. Mute is the music of the world, and unbelief has driven away beauty from the blossomed spray. Then Mustard Seed with diamond eyes taught us to be laughter-wise, and he showed us how that time is much less powerful than a rhyme, and that space is but a dream. For look, he said with eyes agleam, now you are become so small, you think the thyme of a forest tall. But underneath your feet you see a world of wilder mystery, where if you were smaller yet, 
you would just as soon forget this forest which you'd leave above as you have left the home you love. For since the time you used to know, seems a forest here below. What if you should sink again and find there stretched a mighty plain between each grass blade and the next? You'd think till you were quite perplexed, especially if all the flowers that lit the sweet thyme forest bowers were in that wild transcendent change turned to temples great and strange, with many a pillared portal high and domes that swelled against the sky. How foolish, then, you will agree, as those who think that all must see the world alike of those who scorn another who, perchance, was born. We're in a different dream from theirs. What they call sins to him are prayers. We cannot judge, we cannot know. All things mingle, all things flow. There's only one thing constant here. Love, that untranscendent sphere. Love that while all ages run, holds the wheeling world in one. Love that as your sages tell, soars to heaven and sinks to hell. Even as he spoke, we seemed to grow. Smaller than thyme trees seemed to go. Farther away from us, new dreams flashed out on us with mystic gleams. Of mighty temple domes, deep awe held us breathless as we saw. A cavern portal glimmering out between new flowers that put to rout. Our other fancies in sweet fear, we tiptoed past and seemed to hear a sound of singing from within that told our souls of Peter Ginn. Our thoughts of him were still the same. How the shadows went and came, and so on we wandered hand in hand, and all the world was fairyland. And as we went we seemed to hear, surging up from distant dells, a solemn music soft and clear, as if a field of lily bells were tolling altogether sweet, but sad and low, and keeping time to multitudinous marching feet with a slow funeral beat, and a deem harmonious chime that told us by its dark refrain the reason fairy suffered pain. And this is where we'll stop for now. Thank you so much for listening, mates, and see you Friday. <laughs>